Hello and welcome to another stellar edition of Switchbacks and Sweatstains. I'm getting really fond of that intro, so I might stick with it. Um, Y'all may hate it. I don't know. But I'm your host, Charlie Haney. I know, another episode that's out not four months after the other one. I don't know if that even makes sense as the words came out of my mouth. But either way, we're on a roll and we're not going to jinx it. Uh, We are deviating from the Road to Pinhoti series. We'll have another one out towards the end of next week. But I had to get this one out uh, because it was uh, an episode that needed to be recorded and needs to be out there. So uh, excited to dive into this one. This week we are talking to, we are, I am (laughs) talking to Leah Mulligan, uh, co-host, familiar face, familiar voice, um, runner of trails, and um, connoisseur of cheese, uh, which we discuss in this episode, so that'll make sense here in a little bit. We dive into what was an an amazing summer of traveling out west, buying a van before driving out west, and uh, training in all the mountains, and getting ready for what was an amazing experience over in Chamonix uh, at CCC. We obviously talk about all the travels, we get into the training, the strategy, and then the meat and potatoes is discussing the race itself and how it was pretty much flawlessly executed. So couldn't be more proud of, of Leah for her um, dedication and hard work over the summer and then putting all that training and strategy to work on race day. So couldn't be happier for her. Uh, so thrilled that she had a, a big day and represented um, the USA and Chattanooga and all of us uh, over there in Chamonix. So without further ado, let's kick it to this episode. This is uh, Switchbacks and Sweatstains with Leah Mulligan. This is awkward. I'm going to be trying to be Alan tonight, which I'm so not Alan Outlaw, but he's out of town. I was like, be me standing outside the store telling people to go buy things. Oh, cool. It's like, ah, okay. <laughs> I start, I'm uh, helping with packet pickup starting at five. I think that's when everybody's showing up, but probably I'll be there 4.15 onward. So I'll hang. Cool. Well, speaking of hanging, here we are. Uh, It's, it's been, did I ever post the last episode where we talked about things? Nope. (laughs) Well, (laughs) maybe I'll post it. Probably won't. Um, (laughs) Well, this, now we've got the fancy setup, so... <laughs> this, this will sound a lot a lot better. Um, the levels are actually good. We don't have to worry about two different sounding mics. Well, if you're here a lot, it'll be much easier. This is great to just like swing by and record one and not be like a whole process at 10 p.m. Yeah, it's... Uh, I can't remember what the exact hours for this room are. I mean, I was here last night at 6 and nobody was in here. Nice. Um, so I... I think as long as like the building's open, cool. the studio should be hmm. as well. But we'll figure that out. But yeah, live from the Common House Studios, this is Switchbacks and Sweatstains. Um, it is uh, a f- familiar guest. I was about to say familiar face, but this is an, an, o- <laughs> an audio medium, so familiar voice. Everyone knows what my face looks like. Um, Leah Mulligan will post a picture just of your face Perfect. Uh, on social media so that people get it. But uh, welcome to Common House. Welcome back to the podcast. Woohoo! Uh, we, in classic fashion, ran through our run of show. 
pretty much during the little test record period. So I think we're on the uh, on the same page. I'll probably forget it because I didn't write it down. But mentally, it's up there. In there for both of us. Yeah. Um, where to start? How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm on fall break from school, so I'm kind of just hanging out, which is my favorite thing. I haven't sat on the couch in a very long time, so... I watched five TV episodes. It was fantastic. And I did some laundry. So truly thriving. Nice. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, Mary ran into you yesterday. I was like, I don't know when we're going to try and fit this podcast in. Because I know we've talked about it. So when she said it was fall break, I was like, yes. Cool. I will happily derail a Friday work day. (laughs) We'll we'll make make time for sure. but uh, yeah, fall break. You are not quite injured, but having a premature off season set in. Is it just shin splints? Is that what I've heard, or just kind of post CCC niggles? I think post CCC niggles, where I took a week off and then I had a fifty-five mile week back, and then the Monday I took off after that fifty-five mile week. I was like, I hurt, and I don't know why. So. I ran the next Tuesday and it felt just kind of funky, like achy. So I've taken a week and a half of biking and it feels much better today, but just trying to be cautious. It's not worth getting a stress fracture or something like that. So no, I got nothing huge on the radar. So bike season, bike season, adventure season. Yeah. Um, Leaf season. Yeah. It's like the ideal time to not have to go like fit in mileage and just run to go see things, which would be pretty, Pretty, pretty cool. Well, I was kind of cracking up. I was looking at my Strava from last year because I was curious after Stump Jump where I hurt my foot last weekend at Stump Jump last year and took this entire month off and had like 12-mile weeks. So I'm like following the exact same pattern somehow that I did last year where apparently it like becomes October and my body's like, nope, you're taking a pause. Well, when when it's like year-round racing, which is not super, I guess common for I mean not even elites really really do year-round stuff so uh yeah it's like the past couple years few years really there's just been a we've been racing pretty much year-round like something in February this year well I forgot Black Canyon was this year I could have sworn it was last year I was like counting back through the races I'd done this year I was like okay I haven't taken more than a week off in probably two years and we've done 100k after 100k after 100k and my body's Maybe just tired. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to uh, Jackson, a uh, future friend of the pod. I'm going to have him <laughs> on soon. Um, I was like, yeah, I should probably ask like some, some tips on 100K racing strategy. And he was like, you know, you finished one this year. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then we both at the same time were like, oh, you've actually finished two. Like, it's... Uh, <laughs> you, have. you may not really like oh, the distance, hilarious. but you have. <laughs> I completely forgot about uh, forgot about you rock, but um, well, you rock, Charlie. Thank you. Uh, we'll that is on the most likely we'll race again next year. It's funny list, but we'll get in. We'll get into that another time. Um, it's been. I guess I can't remember when we. It was at least March, like April or May when we recorded the last episode that hasn't been posted. (laughs) You've been uh, on the road pretty much uh, since then. Um, 
where do you want to start with your A, finding a van, and B, and then living in it in Colorado for an entire summer? I guess May would be the time to start where Mike and I have been quote-unquote van hunting for probably six months at that point in May where kind of just our social media interaction, Mike would like send me four vans a day from Facebook Marketplace and be like, well, that one's out of our price range. That one's rusty. That one has this random problem, yada, yada, yada. And it felt weird to actually commit to one because we didn't really know 100%. But we had this tiny blue minivan that popped up on Facebook Marketplace in Atlanta that was at the perfect price range at the right time. It was like right at the beginning of summer. So we drove down to look at it, decided we liked it, and told the lady that we would think about it, but we're probably interested. Then we left, drove a mile down the road, decided we wanted to purchase it, went back, got the minivan, and drove home the same day. So Nice. That'd be a long... <laughs> at least you like found out within a, a minute as opposed to like halfway back home, be like, Okay, well, I like, should probably turn yeah. around. I mean, what's the point of waiting a week and then driving back to Atlanta on a four-hour round trip? Yeah. So that was super spur of the moment purchase. It was like our first big life purchase together. It was kind of exciting. Um, but we drove it home and decided we needed somewhere to sleep because this cute little old lady sold it to us, but she was about four, six or something. And she had a little cot bed facing, like not long ways in the bed um, fan, I guess it'd be... Sideways? Sideways, thank you. That's the word I was going for. So she could sleep that way, but we absolutely did not fit. Mm-hmm. So we then went on a huge futon search, and Mike made lots of different bed iterations with boxes and figurings, but we lucked out and found a futon on Signal Mountain and drove the van up there pretty much the same week to buy the futon and realized we were buying it from a trail runner, which was super cool. Oh, sick. So we went up there, I'm blanking on his name, but he runs with Scenic City Trail Runners here in town and was like super jazzed that we were taking his futon out into the wild. He'd just been like using it in a spare bedroom. Nice. Um, and he also recommended us a route on Signal that we ran the same weekend. So it was like a lot of serendipity moments happening at the same time. That's perfect. How, I guess, if you had to guess in hours, how many hours y'all put in? like preparing the van before heading out west? Y'all would be a loose term. Uh, Mike went into like full van mode. Um, We spent together probably like eight hours that week where I wanted it to be cute, which he didn't quite grasp. So I went and bought like Target twinkle lights for the van that we hung up. And I got to say, they got lots of compliments this summer. So the leaf twinkle lights were a good plan. Nice. Good call. Yes. But he fixed up our whole electrical system and solar power stuff. He transferred over a fridge from his truck that had previously been tripped out. And he probably spent till like 1230 every night that week. I would come out and be like, you coming to bed? No, he was working on the van. So pretty much Vincent, the van is in prime condition because Mike put a lot of work in and did some tweaking. It was awesome. Nice. MVP Mike. Yeah, he's got a lot of... Uh experience like driving out west mm-hmm. last summer with his his truck and uh his vet kit that he had yes. pretty much back there um yeah he, i i figured he would he would he would uh set up the the guts of it so to speak and then um you would add probably a little bit of style and, and flair yeah not that mike's not stylish but he's got his own unique flair yeah <laughs> um very functionality looks cool guy thing 
and then everyone needs a, a little bit of, you know, this will will look nice. It'll look like we actually live in something. It's not like a rolling warehouse. Indeed. Um, we saw several people's vans, like absolute bachelor cave vans out West this summer too. That was just like stuff everywhere. And it's like, all right, I'm kind of happy. Ours is like, it's pretty put together. We yeah. kept it mostly clean throughout the whole summer. So that was a point of pride. It's, it's hard to, when you kind of live and move and I don't know, you're out in the middle of Colorado. I mean, it's, it's going to get a, a little, um, a little dirty, a little dusty. Yeah. Well, we had storage on top of it, which was, I don't think anyone as a runner could live out of a van and not have outside storage. Like all of our gross running stuff just lived on top of the van the whole time. You would just like shove it all in the box and mm-hmm. then go do laundry every two weeks and it worked out. But Nice. There's definitely a certain things you have to do if you're doing a running trip that would not be just for normal van life as much. Definitely. Um, let's see. Y'all headed out um, towards, I guess, what was your entire summer journey? Didn't y'all go out to Jackson Hole or where, where, did all, where did you go to first and then what were the stops after that? So Jackson Hole was the original plan. We had a family friend that had a house out there, but it fell through at the exact last moment. So we did an entire reroute and ended up going to Flagstaff first. So we drove to Oklahoma first, which was the most unpleasant night of the entire trip because it was our one place we camped with humidity. And we slept in the van our first night there, sweat to death, and questioned our life choices. But from there, we went to Albuquerque, and ran for the first time out of the van, and I about died because I didn't realize that Albuquerque was at altitude, which was silly error, but I started out gunning it out of the van. I'm so excited to be running somewhere new, and within 10 minutes, Mike catches up to me as I start walking and dying. I'm like, overheating. It's 99 degrees. It's at 7,000 feet elevation. I don't understand what's going on, and realized that we ran up to 9,000 by the end of that run, mm-hmm. pretty much straight driving from here. I just didn't realize until looking up the route later. I was like, okay, at least I'm not entirely not fit. I just died a little bit at altitude. So that was nice. Um, From there, we drove to Flagstaff, which is, I don't know if I'd say my favorite, but close to my favorite place from the trip. There's a really cool running community in Flagstaff, and we made a good friend, um, Lindsay McDonald, who we actually met at Breakneck Marathon the month prior, we stood in the porta potty line with her and chatted with her for about five minutes before the race. And then I ran back and forth with her during the race a little bit. And we'd followed each other on Instagram after. Then we randomly were coming down Mount Humphrey as she's coming up Mount Humphrey. Mm. And she goes, Leah, you're supposed to be in Tennessee. I'm like, hey. Just, <laughs> just out here bopping. Yeah, just doing my thing. Um, But we met up with her the next day to run in Flagstaff and got to chatting and realized that she, like us, was going to Colorado for the month of July. So she ended up being our friend for the entire trip. We met up with her in Flagstaff and then pretty much all over the state of Colorado. So that was kind of a fun journey from New York to Flagstaff to Colorado. And Flagstaff itself was just pretty cool. The, like, contrast between the dry... And then down in Sedona, it's wet and creeks and cool colored rocks. And then up high, there's like snow and altitude. So mm-hmm. kind of a mix of everything. Yeah, Flagstaff's a really cool town. Nice and small. Mm-hmm. Um, but still a lot of, uh, because it's small, like you're within 
a short drive of, of getting on some trails and going st- straight up a, a ski slope. Super nice. From there, we went and slept under Mount Humphreys. Not Mount Humphreys. We were by Mount Humphreys already. Mount Whitney. There we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that one. Tall guy in <laughs> California. And that was super cool because we could see a lot of people starting out to climb it with like ice gear because it was so cold this year that a ton of snow was still on all the peaks in that area. So it was really interesting. We went on like a glacier run in some ways where there was snowpack around one of our runs with these like contrasting beautiful purple flowers. We took a horrifying cold creek bath that I about died. Mike like just hops in and is fine and I hop in and I'm dying. So I don't know what that's about, but (laughs) who knows? That was super cool. And from there, I guess from there we went to Western. Um, That was when Western States was. So we headed to sleep. We slept by the track in Auburn and watched the end of Western there and then went to Mike's family's place um, and spent a week around that area. So I was like, first, I feel like I'd have put this trip in compartments where that was like first big chunk where it was like kind of the warm section to snow to then we're like magically at the beach in Santa Cruz area. So it hit so many different climates. And you kind of uh, started your... Not stalking, but pretty much following uh, Courtney's summer of domination. That was wild. So we hiked up to the escarpment with 3 a.m. with Hoka and got to see her starting off Western, which was pretty awesome. She's just grinning. She's with Katie Scheid. Both of them are having a blast at that point, which I guess it's, what, four miles in. But that's a heck of a four miles, so for them to look that happy is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Then we got to see her at Forest Hill, which was super fun. The energy at Forest Hill... It's just unmatched by any race out there. I think that's like a huge party with everyone cheering. It's super cool. And then the finish line is just kind of indescribable. You've been there before, just the energy and everyone being so excited for Courtney finishing. I like felt bad for the men that were finishing around her because everyone's like, yeah, it's Courtney. Like, yeah. Just she's focal point of so many things this year. It's been cool. Yeah, this is uh, just can't fathom doing the races she's done back to back to back and not only doing them back to back to back, but I don't know. Dominating is pretty much the only word I can come up with. Like well, just one by hours at each of them. The absolute respect for her body holding up. Like we're talking about my legs are so grumpy from CCC and we're a month out now Mm -hmm. where she did Western, which is so runnable and uses different muscles, then transferring to Hard Rock, which is arguably as hard as UTMB, and then doing UTMB, which is just so incredibly difficult and long. It's just kind of incomprehensible how her body can survive all of that. It's so awesome. Yeah, you kind of wonder, as a little side tangent, like if the, the race schedule is reversed, hmm. how that would hold up. Um, just because you got the runnable race out of the way with, with States, and then it's two races that have running, definitely, but are very, like, climbing-focused. Um, and I feel like it dumbs down to survival a lot more in those races, where Western's definitely a race. Mm-hmm. But I think Hard Rock itself is framed as a journey, much more than a race, where people do Hard Rock to finish, not to place in a certain degree. And then I think that was even her mindset going in, was like, this is going to be a journey, and we'll see what happens. Because mm-hmm. it's so much hiking, and you're not sleeping, and you're surviving high altitude, and there's just so many factors in there that are so different than a very runnable, smooth race, not really at altitude for most of it. Yeah. And then pretty much the same thing, but not at as much altitude. Mm-hmm. 
in UTMB and um, yeah, just having, she definitely looked like and sounded like she gutted it out a lot more mm-hmm. at UTMB, which makes sense. That's uh, not only is it a hundred miles, it's a, it's a damn hard race. So we did get to see her vomit in a bag at the end of Western States. So she nice. is human. She was not totally happy. <laughs> Mike was like, oh my gosh, she's not superhuman. She's vomiting. Something. <laughs> uh, man. Maybe she signed that uh, vomit bag and <laughs> no. gave it to a fan. <laughs> I was like, okay. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, well, uh, post states, uh, you start making your way back. Uh, East after visiting Mike's fam. When did y'all get to Colorado and what was y'all's first stop? Whew, where even was our first stop? That's kind of wild. Um, it's been way too long. We went to Rifle for a brief while. We spent one night on the way in by this pretty lake. It was really nice. And then we went to Leadville. We spent about two weeks in Leadville. It was awesome, which I think is top three favorite places in Colorado. That was when we did our first 14er of the trip. We did Mount Massive, which... Maybe my favorite run of the trip. We got to follow these mountain goats up pretty much the entire trail where they just like trotted along in front of us and we like see them disappear and then we'd round a switchback and there they were again. Mm-hmm. And we had our first cheeping marmot, which I think are my spirit animal. Every time I'm having a bad time on a run, a little marmot appears and then I'm having a great time again. So that makes me happy. But those peaks over there, Mount Massive and Mount Elbert are so beautiful and there's so much dispersed camping in that area where you can pretty much park all along the road to both of those 14ers. So that was probably our favorite camping of the entire trip at that place. And just the community of Level School. It's got a cool old timey vibe in a lot of ways. It is a beautiful town, like an incredible backdrop. Um, Y'all got to go to, y'all went to Telluride, didn't you? Yes, that was after that, I guess. I'm trying to piece together all the order. We wanted to watch Hard Rock. But first, we actually met up with Lindsay again. So the Collegiate Peaks, you spent some time in Buena Vista, too. We went to Buena Vista from Leadville, which Buena Vista for van lifers is absolutely fantastic because they've got an electric charger in the center of town. So we parked in the center of town and charged our van there several times. But we did Mount Harvard with Lindsay, which I kept calling Mount Humphrey because of Flagstaff. So I even titled the run that we went on Mount Humphrey with Lindsay in Colorado. So I had to go back and change that, but <laughs> only slight confusion. But that was super awesome. She absolutely kicked our butts going up that vert. She is the queen of going up mountains, and it's fun. I have my dancing down. We can kind of switch off where she would lead up, and I would dance down the technical, and it was a cool kind of balance of a friendship to push each other a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that was super neat, seeing her energy towards the mountains. And she was training for High Lonesome 100 in that area, so we got kind of invested in High Lonesome and learned about all the pieces and then later ended up back in High Lonesome, not High Lonesome, I can't talk today, back in Buena Vista cheering for High Lonesome and crewing for our friend Kyle Calabas here in Chattanooga. So it was kind of a cool like connection of all the pieces in that area. Yeah, for sure. Um, which High Lonesome sounded like it was uh, a lot of fun and a big experience for everybody, Ooh. crew and runner. Um, so shout out to, to Kyle, who I feel like we need to have on the pod as well. Ooh, truly, that would be a fun story. Really, to have all of us that were there on together would be, because it was a journey for him. It was his first time at altitude, and he did a 100-miler, which just absolute respect for the suffering that he went through to finish that thing, where 
I think I talked his ear off for my 20 mile section that I paced him for. And then Mike got the silent, sad section. And then we all kind of carried him to the finish. And it just, he kept moving after having a really hard time. It was awesome. Yeah, it is really cool. Um, a side tangent. I got called out um, this past weekend for calling uh, Buena Vista, Buena Vista. Apparently it's... It's a call. Um, I started calling it BV because I kept forgetting. Yeah. Um, it's Buena Vista. Buena. No, let us be Southern. It's Buena. It's I fine. That's, yeah. I Whatever. Got, I, got, <laughs> I got called on, on that and I was like... Bu- buena? Buena? Buena. I can't even make Buena come out of my mouth. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, sorry for us trying to also butcher the Spanish language. It's fine. Speak Je parle français. Good, good, good vista. Buena yeah, vista. Perfect. It's a good vista of those collegiate peaks. Uh, oh, goodness. boy. Uh, anyway, from there, we actually got to do laundry in Gunnison at um, Lindsay and her partner Jesse's house, which was fabulous. They let us shower and hang there for a little bit, and we camped in Gunnison. And then we headed on to Telluride to watch Hard Rock, which that was another fun connection of friends where my had a friend drew that he raced at one of the races, I think mm, the naturalist possibly. I'm not sure which race they met each other, but we met up with him and they gave us a little tour of Telluride and man, I love Telluride's food. They have so many good snacks. It's kind of a touristy ski town, but delicious food, coffee shops, there's mountains on every side. So that was super cool. Then we bopped over to Silverton and watched the start of Hard Rock. And we got to run on the Hard Rock course several times, which was pretty amazing. We pretty much just looked up Strava heat maps and backtracked on the course several times. And, man, some of those spots are scary for people who are pretty out of it from running 80 miles. There's some super exposed segments on Hard Rock and some super snowy sections. You had to kind of butt scoot several times it's just kind of a wild experience and what what mile is the butt scooting if you had to backtrack it um in silverton at the very end there's a butt scooting segment that was probably 96 or something like that like people are having to like fall down the mountain at the very end of the race where like i was getting my poles stuck in the snow just trying to go up at like mile five of my run or something interesting yeah if i feel like i had to lay down a butt scoot 96 of 100. Let's cry. <laughs> I, would not be, I wouldn't be able to get up. Like I'd, I'd have to have my pacer like peel me off the ground because well, once you lay down, that's, uh, it feels like that's kind of game over, depending on how the day's going. Um, I say that, and I slept five minutes at Penhody two years ago or three yeah. years ago. So who am I to, uh, to judge? But Well, absolute respect for Debo. Um, have you listened to his podcast of Hard Rock? What up, Debo? Yeah. Um, I have, yeah. That was... Uh, just tears. He took a nap, like, full-on, like, two-hour nap and gutted out that race, where I think that's, like, the epitome of how much Hard Rock is a journey, where finishing it is such an accomplishment, where I think it's, in a lot of ways, the epitome of what I like about trail running. Like, it's definitely on my bucket list at some point, where I like being competitive, I like trying to be fast, but I really just like moving in the mountains. So that one appeals in so many ways where you like reach this core in yourself and get such a synergy with the mountains where Mm -hmm. in the 20 years it'll take me to get in, I'll be really excited to be, I don't know, an old lady hobbling along in those peaks will be great. (laughs) 
Yeah, I was about to ask if if that became a, a bucket list race. Yeah, definitely. Um, and if uh, being in Leadville, did that didn't inspire you wanting to get in that one? I feel like that's been on kind of your list. Or Kind of. It's so much running, which I think, I guess, if I want to do Western well one day, I need to get better at like a roundable 100 like that. But it's just so many dirt roads in a lot of ways. And I know it touches in some beautiful areas in single track, but I love technical terrain so much that I think I wouldn't be bored with the views and the experience, but I think it's not the top of my list because of the type of race that it is. Yeah. I mean, Hope Pass is, is beautiful. That's the only yeah. real section of the course that I know. And Turquoise Lake, like that little section around it is pretty, it's just all pretty runnable, which I think if I have a chance at doing well of some of these longer races, I have a better chance at a race like CCC or Hard Rock where it's a lot of hiking and running down where I know how to hurt and eat well now, but I don't like, I don't have the fastest 5k of any girl out there. So it definitely comes with like a balance of all those factors. Yeah. And I guess during all these journeys out West, there is an end goal, which we haven't really touched on, (laughs) but that's, that's CCC. Um, backtracking way back to what was it January? When did you when did you get the the notification about the extra? I don't know. I think activities? it was later than that. It may have been because they added in. It was the twentieth anniversary of CCC and UTMB, so they added two hundred extra spots, and it went to my junk mail. They told me in my junk mail that I got in. And I was like randomly scrolling over. I was at Need Loves, the coffee shop that you're currently eating food from, actually. And <laughs> it, calling me out. You know. <laughs> you're good. But I called you from Need Loves and was like, Charlie, I'm in. It was kind of just a wild experience for us. Like, you already knew that you were in. Mm-hmm. And I had just written it off. I was like, yeah, I'll go another year. I'll put back in. And then it was kind of a miraculous thing of getting in and doing a total reroute of ideas of races where I'd signed up for Grindstone 100 and was planning on a totally Southern-based fall. And it was like, scratch all of that. We're going to France. I took a bite when I didn't need to. <laughs> um, so while you're adventuring in all these places, you talked about your polls. Um, what was the... Obviously, you're running to to get vert. How long did it take you to um, get used to running with poles? Because obviously, you got them as a strategy of running CCC. I think it took probably like five runs to feel like I really had a groove with them. And I wasn't going to get them. I went back and forth. I know you and I had talked about it several times if we were going to race with poles. And... After doing Mount Massive in Leadville, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cave and get poles. I think it would help in so many factors. So I went and actually bought them from this little outdoor store in Leadville. And it was kind of a buzzed purchase. We actually did Mount Massive and went and got margaritas. And for some reason in Leadville, they'll give you a tequila shot with your margarita. So I had that, was like kind of buzzed and was going to purchase these poles. And Mike and I were just like staring at all these types of poles, being like, all right, what are we getting? I don't know. So it was a nice, like, little extra push to be like, all right, it's time. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> That's what you need is the, the uh, I don't know, the filter almost of, like, do I need this? Do I want to spend mm-hmm. money on this? <laughs> yes. Oh, I've had a marg. I'm in a great uh, 
part of the country. <laughs> I'm climbing all the mountains. Te- tequila shot. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I'm just going to get some poles. Why yeah. not? But I got the black diamond poles, and I've loved them. It got, we tested them out in the mountains on the hard rock course, pretty much for the most part, where we did several six-hour runs with them in that area, where we never really ran over 20 miles for most of this trip, but they all took about six hours for the sheer amount of vert that you're getting in that area, and route finding, and all of those pieces of things. So... I think they kind of saved my life at CCC in a lot of ways. I'm buying you poles if you ever do it again. Um, <laughs> there were a few people out there without them that I'm sure had great days, but I truly think like saving your back and helping with technicality, and it's also just a change of pace in a lot of ways where I feel like the rhythm I got with them uphill was so different than like my normal hands-on knees yeah. climbing in a lot of ways. But yeah, they kind of became my best friends. They're scary little lightning rods if there's a storm but other than that they're great yeah I, th- I think looking back we'll touch on this one when, when we go through my adventures <laughs> um they'd be really nice on the on the downhill because i still can't i mean i'm gonna implement some more st- strength training but i still feel like that's that's where my legs get beat up the most climbing was uphill was fine and felt felt normal and comfortable just on the leggies, but yeah, I would, I'm, it's definitely something I'm um, considering. I guess working through running with poles out there, did it help kind of develop your strategy of like, obviously use them on uphills to uh, just get some some extra, not help, but like for lack of a better term, they're they're support in a lot yeah, of ways. Support, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> um, did you? How did you develop kind of your whether you're going to use them on on downhills or did that that come into play once you got out to Chamonix? So I talked with my coach a little bit about it. David Roach was helpful. He doesn't love poles, but understands the necessity of them in some situations where the thought is that Europeans have grown up from a young age using poles for the most part. So it's an advantage where we can only hope to kind of catch on and can't use that as like our advantage in these races in a lot of ways but my main strength I feel like with running is downhills so he pretty much told me to not use them on downhills unless I was really having a hard time in my entire time in Colorado I don't think I used them on a single downhill okay cool yeah we had one huge training day my very favorite place in Colorado is now Crested Butte we did four pass loop out of there which is, if you're going from Crested Butte, a 31-ish mile loop that touches over four passes. It's several, about 2,000 to 3,000 foot climbs and descends the exact same way. So that was my like miming of CCC day where it really mimicked a lot of the course. And I got a lot of practice putting my poles up in my quiver. I had a little Solomon quiver to hold my poles where I would go up on the uphills with the poles on every single climb. And then I would go downhill with them put up and then whip them back out again for the most part. And that one also taught me at altitude to go super easy. Like I started that run super easy and didn't even run some of the like gradual quote unquote douche grade stuff that I could have run. That's a new term I've learned. Yeah. (laughs) So I started CCC the same way where I started super easy and tried not to get my heart rate high. And I feel like that really, really benefited me in the long run. Nice. Was it essentially the four pass loop where you're like 
okay, I'm ready for CCC or when did it click that you were like, I'm in a good place? Yeah, that run probably because I finished and felt good. Like it was 31 miles with 9,000 feet of vert. And I was like, I'm pretty fresh. Like I keep running right now. Nice. And I think you were talking about the downhill. I don't think I would do a race in France or a big one like that without training big downhills, either in the Smokies here or out west again of like, I bombed down so many 3,000, 4,000 foot peaks that I think just saved me in the long run. Yeah, it's because, I mean, the only thing that I could think of locally that would be super helpful, I mean, I guess coming down to Master P, you kind of get yeah. a little bit, but <clears throat> some of the steeper stuff, like almost just running down pipeline, truly, um, is about as, as close as we can get locally. Um, so you get through four pass loop. Oh, I thought the laptop died for a second. The screen no. went black and I was like, I'm <laughs> quitting podcasting forever. Oh, no. Um, but it's alive. Uh, you get through Crested Butte, you feel good. Um, when, when was that in conjunction to coming back home? And, um, once you were home in the brief bit of, uh, being back in, um, God's sweat and humidity. <laughs> the uh, armpit. Yeah, the yeah, sweaty, sweaty armpit. Um, I guess, what what was the, I guess, lead up into flying uh, over to, to Chamonix? Yeah, so Crested Butte was kind of our last stop. We bopped between there and BV a lot, where we visited you guys in BV, and that was our final, final stop. And we pretty much headed home from there, which is always kind of a come down for me driving back. It's like readjusting to being home in these mountains. And I felt like an idiot trying to use my poles on Lookout Mountain, where it still is great practice in a lot of ways, but everyone gives you weird looks if you're using poles on a mountain in Chattanooga. So that was kind of silly. I did several pipelines with my poles to kind of keep the rhythm, started back work with some insanity. And then I kind of just felt like we turned around and went like, I've talked about this fall break is my time to like unpack from Colorado still where everything just went boom, 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 where we haven't had a second to breathe yet from all the travels. Yeah, for sure. You almost kind of like not even unpacked. You just moved. Yes. That made a transition from one bag to the washer and dryer to another bag or just a cycle, just an out, out and yeah. back essentially <laughs> for the, the clothes. And all Crazy. that. Um, y'all got over to, to Chamonix, I guess, a, like a day before? Yeah, I we got over. to Geneva and had a dinner the day before you got there. And that was pretty much it. So we shared that journey for the most part. Where life tips for anyone that's going to do anything in Chamonix, you have to book a bus really far in advance to get over to Chamonix because we just tried to hop on a bus and apparently that doesn't work. So we spent a long time in the Geneva airport eating some pastries. We could have just hanging. hopped on that train. We should have just hopped on the train. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I learned coming, coming back. You can just get on it. Chamonix. Like it wouldn't let you book there. That's what turned us around from yes. following those old ladies. <laughs> um, even like the, um, not to derail what you're going through. Um, when we took the train from, from Chamonix on our way to Annecy, like nobody ever checked a ticket. 
It's so funny. We just sat there. Like we spent like forty dollars a piece that we didn't so didn't need to. <laughs> yeah. So honestly, all we needed Wolf to do was go down to the train station and just get on. But you oh live well. and you learn. Yeah. Anyway, we got to Chamonix, and our little apartment was about a half mile straight up a hill, which I don't think any of us realized. So we dragged all of our suitcases up that, and if we needed any last-minute vert training, we absolutely got that in Chamonix. And I think a cool part and frustrating part race week about Chamonix and a lot of places in France is that you pretty much take public transportation and then walk everywhere. Everywhere is super spread apart. So we probably hiked around about six miles every day, just finding spood, spood, food spots and... Food spots. Food spots. I like that. I would like to find food spots in the France. <laughs> what language I'm speaking now. German? Sure. Went to Germany. I mean, we met up with our German friend, Herbert. So mm-hmm. we caught Shout some of that Herbert. from him. Herbert, the man, the myth. Didn't he also run Grindstone? He crashed Grindstone 100K. Yeah. He's got his stamp for Western States now. It's pretty exciting. Oh. What a punk. But continue. <laughs> but man, Chamonix UTMB week is just magic. Like the FOMO I will be having next year will be unreal in a lot of ways because there's just a pro runner around every corner. There's gear stores. There's good food. I'm addicted to raspberry tarts. Thought about trying to say it. Frambois tartlet, maybe? I sure. pronounced everything wrong. I don't think a single listener will call you out on your French. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, I took four years of high school French, and I tried so hard to communicate with people, and I got laughed at several times on the trail. So I don't know if my French accent is just terrible, or I said things strange. My bonjour is funky. Bonjour. Bonjour. I didn't say it like that, so I don't know what the problem was. Bon Jovi. <laughs> Oh, boy. They're just startled that you spoke fluent French. Yeah, totally. Well, it was super cool the first day we were there. We were, like, by one of the big glaciers, and you could hike up right behind our apartment to it. Glacier de Busson, mm-hmm. I believe. And oui. there was this old man hiking up that we could kind of communicate with that just lived at the base of the glacier, and he hiked up it every single day. So it was cool meeting a local and really getting some insight into how often they engage with these huge peaks. Um, you said you're going to have FOMO next year. You don't, you don't want to go back and give it another shot? I mean, I can't put in again, can I? You don't get CCC, you don't get stones from, right? I think you... Do you? I, I, thought haven't, I haven't looked. I thought I heard um, calling out the Trail Society podcast yeah. that you do get stones for it, but... I need to look. I would put in again. I thought I didn't have... I'm not about to run another 100K this year, so... Maybe it, maybe it had to be top 10, which you weren't far out on. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but... We'll see. Yeah, you can check in on that. Probably money-wise, not going to do that. I have several 100Ks that I'm interested in. I really want to do Never Summer 100K, putting out there in Colorado next summer. It's kind of the back-of-the-mind thought. So we'll see. Um, anyway... Back to Chamonix. We're good at our tangents. Um, I mean... Oh, God, it's helping me scarf down this parfait. I know. It's going really well for you. It's only mildly distracting, Charlie. Come on. Sorry. <laughs> Speaking of food, they have good parfaits mm. and coffee and pastries and everything one could possibly hope for. So much cheese. It was beautiful. I don't know if I liked the running or the cheese more, really, for the overall experience. That's fair. 
Man, I guess. What was could, your favorite oh. food spot? Mm-hmm. I think I know the answer. I just don't remember the name of the place. I don't remember so many names. I'm going to go back there one day and be like, wait. I liked my little pastry spot that I got my raspberry tart every single day. I got kind of addicted to. And then they had a Galeza, Galette, something. There was this little restaurant right by the finish line where you could just sit at this little cafe and eat delicious food and watch all the finishers come past. So it was cool, the energy of just like sitting there eating your breakfast, seeing pros run by. Like, hey, that was great. We found this cute little breakfast spot as well. They had lots of little like breakfast goodie packages where we like got an espresso, got this like English muffin breakfast thing along with yogurt where pretty much everywhere we ate was super amazing. We did a great job of everything loading the week beforehand. And the fresh squeezed orange juice. Oh my gosh. Legendary. I don't like orange juice here anymore. It's just not the same. Uh, I looked up the machine that they made, and unfortunately it is out of our price range. Tragedy. I know. <laughs> I'll talk to Needlove, see if they can get that. Absolutely. Well, I feel like we should go to race morning with my disaster of an almost start to the day. So you That's team, where I was going. Yeah. UTMB requires so much gear in your pack. And I was so very focused on getting all the gear that I had to have that I totally left my bib sitting on the kitchen counter. So we walked down our half mile hill to the bus stop and man, boyfriend of the year award to Mike, he drops all of his bags all of a sudden as he realizes that I don't have the bib and does probably a half mile hill PR sprinting back up to our place to grab my bib and sprints back down to bring it to me. And then our bus is 45 minutes late. So I got my bib. That was amazing. Got to relax on that point. And then we're panicking that our bus isn't actually going to arrive at our little bus stop. Yeah, that was stressful. Because luckily there were, I don't know, four other people there. Yeah. But the fact that (laughs) it was so late, we just kept assuming that we were never going to make it. Yes. And then even once we did get picked up, that the route there, having to Wild. sit in that long line because of the landslide on another route was insanely frustrating. I just wanted to get to the uh, to the race start. Um, did you sleep at all from um, Chamonix de Cormier? No, I did not sleep and I wasn't on my phone because I didn't want my phone battery to die. You could be disqualified if your phone died on this journey, and I didn't feel like dealing with my little battery thing for it. So I pretty much just stared off into space or tried not to make eye contact. So I got the one seat on the bus that faced the direction of everyone else, like it was backwards of a normal bus seat. So I kept looking up and making eye contact with different random humans. So I just kind of tried to like stare down or out the window, and it was an interesting journey for me and my little nerves for the day. And... We got there, and then the the long line. What did you think of the porta potties there? It was kind of a wild experience. Oh, it was experience. like a barnyard. It was very strange. That's what the smell. It was like some hay something for them to process the. It's, it's stuff. like a, it was like a litter box. Yes, that's a better word than barnyard. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, we got there though twenty minutes before race start, and there was a long porta potty line. So we had to like rush to use the bathroom and then literally jog like a half mile to the start line. And we're like in the very back of our wave trying to shove it ourselves in there. It was just, Charlie's like on the starting line eating a croissant. It was a wild, 
all about the experience of the start was a wild experience. I wanted to make sure that I was eating from the very beginning of the race <laughs> onward. That was something I promised Corinne, and I you stuck with it. it. Uh, yeah. um, so we'll jump into it. Gun goes off. I guess let's, uh, for the sake of time, because unfortunately I've got a, a heart out, um, <laughs> I think. We'll see if that person actually does show up for the meeting time. They never responded to my... Anyways, <clears throat> I'll cut that out. Um, let's go from the start to... I don't know, how far do you want to... Do you want to split it up into halves, or how did the race kind of break down for you? I guess it started for me the first 50K. It was like, get to Mike, and then the race starts in a lot of ways, where I went out pretty much as hard as I could, I guess. I felt like it was a cross-country start where I accidentally elbowed or pushed past so many people, Mm -hmm. because I was a little stressed about getting stuck in a huge traffic line. It starts with a 4,000-foot climb, and it did end up being kind of a little train going up that, which... I think was good for me. I ended up going about 22, 23 minute miles of that, which is kind of what I'd envisioned doing. Mm -hmm. And then it worked out really well. I think I passed 40 people maybe down the first hill, which was so much fun. So I think I saved energy the first five miles to just like get rolling. And Mm -hmm. it went downhill for, it felt like a really long time. Yeah. I think six miles maybe of like rolling downhill to start out. And then... Through there, it's almost kind of blurry. I met with David Roach before the race, and he told me that the most important thing I could do was to live in the moment and be thankful that I was there. So I made a really conscious effort to look up pretty much the entire time and like appreciate the views and try to talk to people in whatever language they spoke and to really be present and thankful. And I feel like I did a really good job of that. And when I look back at pictures, I can like visualize kind of where I was in the race at that moment. But... Definitely kind of the ups and downs start to blur together a little bit where it was these long climbs where I put my head down, got out the poles, and then I started playing a game with myself with my headphones where I wouldn't listen to music going up and then I would turn on my like pump up music on the downhills and would start like jamming. Nice. So that was really fun. It was like my reward when I got to the top was that I got music. Yeah. An interesting strategy of like, okay, you just you gotta push through this and then you're rewarded to, to I don't know. Fun. Jam, have fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Suffer through this and then have fun on the down. Fun again, yeah. And I did a really good job. I'm super proud of myself for this one where I had a gel every 30 minutes like clockwork, which I think made it divvy up super well to where I was like, okay, it's five more minutes till I get my gel. And I'd have a little snacky snack and then... I had like cheese shoved in the front of my pack at one point. I like, took baguettes and cheese the first 30 from aid stations and tried super hard to smile at everyone. One of my favorite stories, I got so used to saying merci to everyone saying good job that I passed a ton of Americans hiking UTMB course. And they're all like, oh my gosh, it's an American. We had our little flags on our bibs. I'm like, merci. Like this dummy, who are you? You can speak English to us. What are you doing? That's fine. You're just cultured. Yeah, I'm just totally integrated into the race. That was cool. Then I felt fantastic at 50K seeing Mike. It's like super jazzed to be there. Mm -hmm. And he had claimed a table for me. He had all my stuff laid out. And I'm really proud. I think I spent 15 minutes at aid stations total the entire race. So we like did in and out really quickly. Nice. Um, Did you do any gear changes once you got to Mike or... 
I pretty much did no gear changes the entire time. I had divvied up, I think, 15 gels for the first half and had used most of them. So we had my 15 other gels that I'd laid out to trade out for myself where they didn't really have gels at the aid stations. So I used Awesome Sauce pretty much the whole time and then did use their drink Knack, which is a pretty high calorie drink of choice for them. Then from there, that was kind of a downhill out of that aid station. And I still felt pretty good at that point. It's like feeling a little fatigue in my legs, trying to still roll through some of that more runnable terrain. But it was kind of fun. They had some like gravel roads thrown in there. And I got to run some actual like 830s in there. I met a man from Ireland, which was super fun. Um, My family is Irish. So we like talked about Ireland a little bit. I talked about Mulligan's Pub which I went with my family years before, and he'd like been to at least a Mulligan's Pub in Dublin. So that was cool. Um, I got to run around some athletes that like I look up to, which was neat. I found a La Sportiva athlete that I followed on Instagram for like five years. And we actually got to run together for a while. Sweet. So that was a cool life experience. And that section kind of, I mean, everything went by fast, like got kind of in a groove, and it was like the check marks of like, okay, drink, eat, don't step in cow poop, get to the next aid, drink, eat. And 44, was that this? I think next aid was 44 maybe. I think so. Yeah. I was still pretty happy. Um, It wasn't dark at that point yet. I'd like had a really good downhill segment, was super jazzed, had been talking to people and was really happy to see Mike again. Um, You started going through a lot of the little towns at that point too. So I'd gotten to like roll on some pavement for a while was kind of cool. And we pretty much did the same thing really quickly again. He just like handed me a few gels. I ate a banana. So that was super nice, just in and out. That was when it started getting hard. Um, yeah. I started feeling worse through that section on the downs where they had, it got more and more technical as the race went along. I think it got slightly less high in altitude, which the more technical terrain was lower, but it, that was when I started, that was the first time probably ever using my poles on the downhills where I felt like I was like using my arms more than my legs to like push myself forward in a lot of ways and like hopping over things and kind of shuffle hobbling, trying to bomb still at that point. And I think at about mile 50, my stomach started getting really grumpy Mm. and I didn't eat any more like real food from that point forward. Um, Just stuck with awesome sauce that that always felt good enough. That felt good enough, and the knack, I think, helped. Mm-hmm. I tried one of the knack gels, which, I'm sorry, knack was disgusting, which I don't know. I may give it a redemption run and try it at some point when I'm not at mile 50, but it did not. You said you like the drink mix, though? like the drink mix, yeah. Did you have a, a flavor of choice? I think there was watermelon and like something else. I honestly else. I didn't even remember. process what flavor it was. I don't Fair know. Enough. I got it out of, I remember, like, huge memory with the drink. They had them in, like, a cow barn at one point, and I was convinced that I'd gone the wrong way at that point because there hadn't been marking for a while and I was like in a cow field Mm -hmm. but then I like entered this barn and there was drinks in there I was like okay this this is is where I'm supposed to be and I kept thinking that cowbells were aid stations Mm. like I was close enough and heard the cowbell and I was like okay there's got to be aid around the corner Mm -hmm. it was just cows so it's kind of sad um but yeah got to mile 52 and that was the first point that I was like kind of grumpy I felt bad poor Mike I wasn't really patient I wanted to get out of there and I like 
chugged a smoothie that he'd gotten me, which was this like warm, weird smoothie fruit mix that actually worked for calories. Because Europe just doesn't believe in refrigerating and it's having really cool strange. <laughs> but I had some pack extra gels stored in the back of my bag, and I was like, "The food in the back, Mike. I just need the food in the back." He's like, "What are you talking? The food in the back. Just give me the food in the back." I think I said to the poor man like five times where Mike's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but you're angry. <laughs> but finally got me the gels and I got out of there. And that is a slog out of that aid station to the next climb where it's guild grade gravel road for like three miles, which was incredibly upsetting. Um, That's a mental battle. Yeah. For sure. Which I shuffled it. I used my poles though on this like guild grade little climb where I'm like, do to do going, I think 14 minute miles trying to jog up this little tiny incline at that point, which felt comical. And it was like a relief when I got to the huge, it had like one and a half more really steep climbs at that point up to Flegier, La Flegier, I think sure. was the final aid station. However, one pronounces that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that last climb I don't know if it was altitude or just breathing in dust for that long, but my lungs started hurting where I don't know if I could have gone much longer than hundred K that day, not even because of my legs. Cause my like lungs felt like it started shutting down a little bit where mm-hmm. I was like almost doing like a wheezing whine thing the last little bit where it just like my chest hurt, which was really strange. And I had a cough for the week after. So I feel like it does weird things sometimes to your like lung breathing system. I don't know. That's interesting. I just learned at a conference yeah. about some of the like respiratory mm-hmm. uh, effects of running ultras um, at altitude from not coming yeah. from altitude and all sorts of other stuff. But we'll do science corner with Dive Charlie another later. day. Yeah, but that was kind of sad because I had this really nice man behind me who was worried because I was making like sad little noises going up this climb, <laughs> and he's like. You okay? And he kept staying with me, and I just wanted him to leave, which he was trying to like make sure I was okay. But I was like, I promise I'm okay. So he finally, like 20 minutes later, passed me and like left me immediately because it was a slog going up. But I kept telling myself I could do my reward system. I could turn on music again, and I was going to bomb the last three miles into Chamonix, no matter what was going on. Mm-hmm. So I got to Le Fougier. It's like a broken arrow esque steep ski hill up to that to finish out the last climb. And my hands were too cold. I couldn't take down my poles at that point. So I'm like deliriously trying to explain to this poor aid station lady how to take apart my poles and put in my quiver. She can't figure it out. We're both like fighting with my poles for like two minutes there. Mm -hmm. Finally got that and bombed down. But I passed this poor man again that had hung out with me on the climb. And I'm like sprinting past him. I'm like, I'm so sorry. My lungs work on the downhill. I don't know what my problem was. So... Mm. That was kind of sad, but that part was probably a highlight where I think my predicted time, I got there like 30 minutes faster than I was supposed to. I was like, I'm done with this. I'm just going to get there. Yeah. When did it sink in? Or I guess when or if did you think about like, oh, I've, I've had a day. Did you check, like start checking your watch at all before that like descent or? Probably at the mile 58 station, I knew that it was going to be a decent day. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd wanted between like probably 14 and 16 hours. So I got like smack dab in the range yeah. that I wanted. Um, and I wanted top 50. So I was really happy. I ended up 31st um, female overall in 10th American, which I was super pumped for. And it's funny, like analyzing back on things where I think with the fitness where I was and with everything, like 
I could not have done better, which is cool. Mm-hmm. It's like the first race that I have no what ifs about in any way where I ate right. I think I timed it well. I think I'd like to try to get faster and to go back and try it again. But I think for the day that it was, I'm so thankful for it because it, I pulled it off for what I had in the cards. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you worked, worked your butt off the entire summer to, to get there. And, um, I mean, that, that's just the, I mean, when you put in, put in the work, I know we're not promised anything other than we get to start the race. And after yeah. that, it's, uh, it's kind of up to us and, and, mother nature to, um, to get through the however many miles, whether it's, you know, 20, 50, hundred K, whatever it is. Um, yeah, to, to execute is, uh, I mean, a testament of like really staying focused on, on the task at hand and, um, hard work paying off. So I, you, I was super stoked that you Thank had you. that kind of day. Uh, wasn't in the mood to no, it's all good. necessarily discuss it at the, <laughs> at the time, but, um, yeah, you said no, what ifs, you know, how you'd like to just get faster. Were there any things you did want to do or would want to do better other than being more fit the next time you step on the start line? I was stalking the splits of some of the folks that did get top 10. And I think I would just need to run the downhills faster because everyone climbs within a range of the same time. Like you can lose a few minutes here and there on climbs, but a lot of it's like I did eights going downhill and the people that got top 10 did sevens. Mm. So I think truly trusting, like I have that leg speed to do downhills well, but I didn't trust my body to hold up to go faster from the get go on the downhills. Yeah. So I think some trust, in there a bit more and really just working on like consistent long runs where I run hard a lot more instead of just like the survival technique, like going into it with a more competitive mindset instead of like, I want to do my best, but I want to finish above all. Mm -hmm. So I don't know though. I really put in with this one, like my mantra going in was this one matters. Like I poured so much into it that I like kept telling myself like this one matters, this one matters, just keep going. So yeah, I think just would have changed going fast on downhills in the future, maybe. Nice. Well, uh, you'll get that, that chance again, whether you got those stones <laughs> from point. running the race or, or not. Um, I guess jumping from from there to, I guess, what's next would probably be our, our <laughs> best way to, um, to wind it down. Uh, I guess what does 2024... <laughs> tentatively look like are you putting in for states or are you saying screw it I'll do something else I'm probably gonna put in for states I think because I don't really want to do it I'll probably get in which will be comical um Mm -hmm. I really want to get better at hundreds I think before I do states in a lot of ways but it also it would be incredible to get to do it more than once in my lifetime, which there's definitely a chance of doing it. So I would love to have a practice year of trying it and hopefully getting in maybe with you and Will. There's a chance no Chattanooga people got in this year. So I feel like next year there's a high chance that at least some range of it get in. I'm going to absolutely die if Mike gets in and none of us do after he's just done one to get a ticket. But, you know, every way possible. It's, it's the lottery system. Yep. I mean, so We both got in to... Yeah. CCC crazy. on, on one, one so. ticket, essentially. So who knows? Um, I'm not, like, super amped about it right now, though. I think I'm really excited about mountain racing. So yeah. 
Scar is on the thought for spring. Um, I would love to run in the Smokies more and get out there. And now that I'm used to poles, I think I would really channel using the poles and the Smokies and working on bombing. And I think that would set me up really well for a successful mountain season in the summer. Mm-hmm. So Art Loeb thrown in there? Yeah. I'd love to do kind of what I've done training for 100Ks before in some ways of doing like two back-to-back 50Ks where I'd love to do... I did that for... Um, in Hody, where I did stump jump and art lobe, boom, boom, which I'd love to do stump jump in March, art lobe in April, scar maybe late April, beginning of May, would nice. be a really fun progression for spring. Yeah, for sure. So we'll see, probably going to do that. Um, and then for summer, depending on life and schedule, would kind of like to go back to Broken Arrow. I feel a lot more confident in my vert now, mm-hmm. and I feel like I could do that a lot better. So it'd be cool to see like, improvement even though the race changes every year so can't like definitively see but place wise could potentially see if i've improved and then i put out never summer 100k maybe later in the summer how lonesome has crossed my mind i can't decide if i want to do 100 or not so maybe that and if we throw a total wild card in there mike used to live in ecuador he lived in ecuador for a summer and has some friends and they just made a utmp race in ecuador oh sick and there's some pretty cheap flights. So that would be beginning of August. There's an 100K UTMP umbrella race I'll there. Get you some, so. some stones. Yeah. So that's maybe on the radar. We'll see. I didn't, I didn't hear canyons on that list. Canyons is not on that list. <laughs> <laughs> I would do Black Canyon again before I would do canyons, I think. Fair enough. I don't know. I think my quads would have much less chance of going bye-bye. But <laughs> we'll see. All the timing, I feel like I'm looking at my breaks from school and what job situation is at that point and all the things and trying to see Mike's also super passionate about the running. So Mm -hmm. we have to kind of sit down and plan out like what races we're going to do, if we're going to do the same one, who's going to crew. Like you and Mary kind of have the same dynamic of like, okay, who's doing what and all the puzzle pieces. So we'll see. Just want to find a way to keep getting the most joy out of it, but also really trying to be competitive with it at this point. So we'll see. Yeah, well, it, uh, the schedule will change a bunch if you do get into states. Does that pretty much blow up the spring? Probably. I guess I won't be doing as much climbing. We're going to have to find a way to run a yeah. whole lot because um, that's what you need for that one. I would probably do more track workouts or something wild like that. Um, <laughs> I guess I would try to go out a few times. Mike's family luckily lives an hour from there, so yeah. we'd probably go crash with them and do some turning runs on all my breaks and probably try to go to state's training camp and i know enough people now in the community that i feel like i would know some folks that would be there which would be nice yeah but i don't know if my coach would be jazzed for me at this point to do it or not it would be interesting to hear and he's trying to do it so yeah we'll see if david roach is there towing the line too yeah it's this uh like you talked about you almost i mean we've we keep putting in Mm -hmm. tickets so we kind of feel obligated to go try and do that thing but yeah it does feel slightly less uh maybe the stoke changes once Mm -hmm. your game gets pulled and you're like oh outside of like utmb i'm running the biggest biggest hundred out there um yeah it's just a different beast do you think you're not stoked on it either right now i mean it's probably like (laughs) I've just, yeah, recently I've kind of gone back into, like, where did this all begin? I mm-hmm. mean, uh, it began 
training for stump jump and then while I was training for stump jump saw a, a cool video on western states and <laughs> uh, a guy named Bill Duper um, and I was like oh that's what I want to run that's, yeah. that's my, my end goal of, of ultra running uh, nine years ago so yeah maybe uh, I think maybe once yeah the name okay. gets called you're like okay we're doing let's, it. Let's go run the run We're the big thing. Really hard, yeah. Yeah, really take advantage Something. of the sauna here at Common House. Shouts out. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll we'll see. Just, the journey is just wild. Like I feel like my why has changed so much. We've talked about why a lot on this podcast, and I, I, think feel I still like have our original why episode. It'd be fun need to listen to at some point. Post that and then <laughs> re-record a, a new one. Yeah, where I feel like it just ebbs and flows, though. Like, I get so much joy out of being competitive with it now and being the best version of myself that I can be, where I'm really thankful. We've talked previously how I got so much anxiety from cross-country and from racing throughout the years, and I have yet to tap into a point of feeling anxiety to the utmost degree with these races, where I still just feel such a sense of accomplishment from finishing them. Mm-hmm. So there's not really ever a choice of failure or like even a DNF, like I finally pushed hard enough where like I couldn't do something, which is an accomplishment in itself. And you learn from those in different ways where I feel like I never am going into a race with like a sense of glo- doom, which is satisfying still. Yeah. But I also am much more confident saying like, I want to be competitive in the next year. I want to race hard. I want to learn. I want it to be fun, but I also want to see what it can be for myself. Yeah, for sure. Well, that'll be exciting to uh be along on on that journey on tuesday morning runs and Woo. Mm-hmm. uh yeah definitely it's uh once you're healed up it's it's definitely the time of year to to get out and fun. explore some some fun routes that aren't uh aren't maybe art lobe level expertise <laughs> not in, in the winter time <laughs> um, yeah it should should be fun um i will ask a question that um, I've been asking recently, and it is a ripoff of another podcast. But um, if you could put a message on a billboard for everybody to see, what would it be and why? Hmm. I don't know if I have a good slogan right now. Eat cheese and have fun. That's fine. <laughs> I feel like what I took from CCC primarily was the cheese of the experience and how much eating cheese bolstered my life. I blame cheese on that entire experience. I was cheese loaded and it was fantastic. And Mike and I every week make a cheese bag. He goes to Aldi and picks us like five different types of cheeses. So I think my running career has really flourished under an intake of cheese. So that's my cheesy... Oh, no. I didn't even oh, mean that as much. I'm sorry. That's my cheesy slogan. <laughs> that came out of my mouth. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Ooh. Um, yeah. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> that seems like a place we can put a, a pin in it. Um, yeah, I've got nothing else. Um, I guess to all the listeners, rate, review, subscribe. Um, this podcast will, I'm trying to decide I've got one with 
West that I'm editing currently. <laughs> um, this will be not a whole lot of editing to it either. So maybe these will come out back to back. Maybe be we'll, terribly we'll exciting. Three month. It's blocks. the beginning of something. Could be. Could be indeed. Or <laughs> uh, this could come out in January. We never know. <laughs> Big old question mark. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, no, I got to get it out because I need Wes's because it's, I guess, a part of a quote-unquote series that Sweet. we'll need to have a follow-up after Pin Hody. be awesome. Um, and this needs to, to come out and then we'll, we'll circle up. Perfect. At some point, maybe, after Western States Lottery or... Oh boy, we should record a podcast while we're watching the lottery as the anxiety slowly mounts. Yeah, we could do that. It'd be interesting. Could be interesting. We got a TV right there, so. Perfect. There are possibilities. So find us at Common House in December, y'all. Yeah, come hang out. I can have unlimited guests except for the pool. Um, Heck yeah. So with that. um, Happy weekend. Yeah, happy weekend. Stay hydrated. Bye.